Hello, everybody. <clears throat> Welcome to Saints Radio. We've just been having a splendid conversation up here, and I glanced over to the clock, and goodness gracious, can you believe the thing that the, cop, the, the, the clock just kept running even though we were talking? I don't know how that happens. I think that's a phenomenon that happens around the world. I've talked to some people in my, in my life, and the clock just seems to go, just keep going on and on. It can go for hours, and they're still talking. So anyway, uh, we are sorry to be on just a minute late, and I truly apologize for not doing the broadcast last week. Um, I missed being on with you, but um, I just was not in a place to do it, and we didn't need to have Monica exposed to me up here in this booth. I don't know what that was that came against me, but that's the only thing I missed. I kept my distance from people and just kept going, and I'm doing well, ready to roll. We, if uh, No matter what you're facing right now, if you're not feeling well, if you're battling anything, we speak health and life into you now in Jesus' name. And we're, we're moving forward. We are moving forward, aren't we, Monica? Yes, sir. Yes, we are. <clears throat> we're moving forward even though we're sitting in these chairs. Um, I have my black shirt here that I've been uh, laying on in prayer since Sunday, according to Isaiah 58, 5. You know, I was thinking about that, how strange this seems. But I was also thinking about how after all these years, God has never put it in my heart to do anything like that. And I don't ever remember us telling people to spread out sackcloth and lay on it. We were always wearing it or, you know, and that's fine. But it's, to me, it has significance because... Um, God is speaking. Just about the time you think you've done everything that the Word would ask of you to do, He pulls something else out in the power of His Spirit, and and it's a prophetic act. Isn't that great? That's great. Amen. You've got black on today, as do I. Um... Turn the fan on because a fire of the Lord has descended into the room. And you could tell Monica was getting heated. Can you feel that? Yes. Could turn the air conditioning on over there, but. It's funny because talking about sackcloth and ashes, we have a, a gas fireplace in the living room and it's right next to the chair where I sit and spend my time with the Lord a lot oftentimes and I just turned the fireplace off yesterday. <laughs> wow. I thought I may just keep it running like for the summer. Uh, but for some reason it felt particularly warm yesterday. Mm -hmm. when I walked into the room and I thought, well this is kind of ridiculous. Turn the thermostat down to sixty five and <laughs> keep the fireplace on. But it's kinda like in the summer when turn the air conditioner on in your car and you roll all the windows down or take the top down. You get the best of both worlds. Yeah, that is uh, that is a nice 
strategy. But I don't get ashes out of the ashes, which, if so, I could spread those out and <coughs> lay in a pile of those. Although I feel like I'm pretty much a pile of them anyway. <laughs> but he does turn beauty from them, right? Friends, you've turned into Pile of Ash Ministries. Uh, we welcome you. Um, yeah, I, I haven't cleaned out my fireplace yet because every time I uh, was thinking about doing it, it would get cold again, and I'd yank some of the oak from the back porch and start me a fire. The problem I have is this little fellow named Levi that comes over to our house. He's eyeing that fireplace. He wants to get up in there and get those ashes. So Papa's going to have to get that cleaned out. I should have brought a whole bag of it up here and told people, we prayed over these ashes. Now you you take them home. and Boy, that would have been a gimmick of all gimmicks. We could have sold those. Send your best offering. We'll send you a vial from Pastor's Fireplace of ashes, holy ashes. Just playing. We would never do that. a thought though mm -hmm. <coughs> some people just love gimmicks <clears throat> I've never been a fan of them but I do know that God gives at times prophetic directives they're throughout the word the problem is that if he hasn't given the directive Sometimes people try to help God out and they come up with their own gimmick and they, um, you know, they lead people in things that I'm sure God honors the faith, but the premise of it, he, um, he's probably looking at kind of sideways, <clears throat> but ashes, that's our ash talk for today. Um, or we could have done ash, the ash fast and, and, and just smeared it on people's heads like Ash Wednesday, you know. Could have done something like that. Yeah. Could have, but we didn't. <laughs> Thank is it God. Interesting? This is an interesting week of fasting. Unknown caller. Oh, there's an unknown caller calling Never in wanting to... Wanting to get so wanting to get some ashes. They want to be the first person to to acquire holy ashes. Holy ashes, Batman. Actually it's um spam. Spam. <laughs> yeah, that demon spam. <coughs> Boy. Did you uh I'm sure you guys had to eat spam when you were little kids, didn't you? My mother never made us eat spam because it was a Monty Python joke. <laughs> spam a lot. <laughs> you know the thing that they used to do? Spam, 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 spam. Yeah. I did that whole routine about spam. And how it was fake food. Well, it, yeah. <laughs> she did make me eat the salmon out of the can, which was like, she might have, I mean, she might as well have waterboarded me. Honestly, I... There is no condiment you can put on salmon in the can that makes it taste edible. Honestly, when you're a kid, and she made me eat um, Vienna sausages. You know those little, those little weenies? Yeah, those little weenies, yeah, and the, the kolaches. Vienna. 
and the you know it comes with a little pop up top. So if if you if the mother doesn't have time to make lunch, she can just stick a little can of peanut sausage. Oh no! Lunch. Yeah. Did you no. trade that when you got to school? My brother always ate on my lunch. He always took. I love my brother. He's he's got a heart of gold. But when you have a brother that's four years older than you, I there wasn't a day that he didn't come and take my lunch money, or ask me for lunch money, because he wanted more. Oh my. Yeah. So I it's not like I starved as a little girl. I mean, I would have done anything for him because he was my big brother and. You know how that goes, but yeah, so anything I didn't want, my brother would just swoosh by and take care of it for me. Wow. <coughs> yeah. Well, you know, my mom wasn't much of a cook. She was just common. And so if we were really celebrating, she'd make a meatloaf. Woo! And that was high living. You smear that baby with ketchup. Woo! <laughs> but that was our filet mignon, you know, meatloaf. Um, once a week, she'd make a hamburger that she'd coat in flour. It was kind of like a poor man's chicken fried steak. But it didn't look like what we have here. And... We would eat chipped ham, real thin sliced ham sandwiches. That was a staple. We'd have that several days a week. And every now and then we'd have spam. Now when TV dinners came, if you found them on sale, once a week you'd have a TV dinner. And I remember the Hungry Man dinners. How do you handle a hungry man? You know, and those were bigger portions and once a month, we get those. And then you'd have canned potatoes. And you'd have uh, canned green beans. Never had salad. Never had... Growing up on a farm, you would think you'd have these things. We never had spinach. We never had broccoli. We never had any of that. I'm not complaining, obviously I ate, but that's what we ate. And the concept of proper nutrition went by the board. We'd drink water and milk. Once a week I could have some Mountain Dew in a glass, green glass bottle. That was my beer, as it were. And on that day, you could have potato chips with your Mountain Dew. But this was all budgeted out. And I wasn't, I didn't know any better. I didn't, I, you know, but none of that, much of that was not healthy. Yeah, unfortunately, I think our generation <coughs> was raised on pretty unhealthy diet, a lot of processed food. It's like we hit that time frame when processed food became the staple on the American table, whether it's a box macaroni and cheese or canned vegetables or canned meat. It wasn't until I had kids and they were 10, 11, 12 maybe, that I actually started gaining knowledge about nutrition. And it's like I can't tell you how many times I've thought, I wish I knew then what I know now when 
my baby when my kids were little babies. And so I watch like Kelly with her kids and the way that, I mean, I've taken Megan and Allie out to eat sushi and to sit with them when they're popping that fish, you know, that sushi in their mouth, it just delights me because I think they'll eat anything because yeah. they were exposed to whole foods at such a young age. And it's, 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 I mean, it is what it is. And I'm thankful for really the, the information and the knowledge that we have now and the access that we have to, to Whole Foods because it has pretty much been transforming, I know, for me in my life. Mm. And I mean, even traveling, like next week we go to Brazil, and I know I've commented several times about how good the food is there. Um, I mean, you get some pretty Whole Foods there. And, and in France, I mean, there's a lot of sauces and butters and stuff cheeses and good things in France, which I will not deny myself, <laughs> but you know, I'm already starting to think about um, just eating in another country, because your body gets used to certain things, but of course <laughs> you traveled to India. I honestly, when we were scheduled to go to India, my biggest fear, my only fear was the food, and the Lord took care of that. And I know it wasn't because I had a fear of the food, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, we digress from speaking of the spiritual. Well, I don't, think, our ashes I don't think we ever started. I think we were just kind of goofing around with the ashes. <laughs> no, you were talking about sackcloth and the significance of Oh, this. yeah, 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 yeah. This fast is really, it's really unique. It's only been, this is the third day. But I know every day the Lord has been speaking something different to me. And it's kind of like a spontaneous thing. Like I went to this morning to, y'all might think this is totally silly, but I went this morning in to do my workout that I do before I come for prayer. And I usually listen to some kind of Kirk Franklin or you know some kind of jammy Christian stuff. And the Lord said, no music today. You just, um, you just focus on me. And so fasting music is kind of a big deal for me. <laughs> so anyway, see how the day plays out. Yeah, it's uh, part of what I'm doing so far this week. Part of what I'm doing is the sundown to sunrise fast. Part of what I'm doing. And that's going to change here in a couple of days, I know. But, tomorrow. but like, yeah, tomorrow is going to be very different. But this morning at 4 o'clock, um, I got my coffee. Thankfully, the Lord didn't tell me not to drink coffee. And I went in and sat in the chair in the dark. And Yesterday morning, it was just prolific. God was just speaking in such a wonderful way. Well, today, I'm sitting in there and I'm praying in the Spirit, and I'm not hearing anything. I'm not fine. I'm not sensing. And I thought this is really strange. So I just sat there. Yeah, and I don't know whether that's waiting on the Lord. You know, I know we've studied about weaving, making a cloth, but then there's other things about patience and waiting that have nothing to do with that. It's the principle itself. And uh, it was a wonderful time in the Lord today. 
Um, but, you know, the, those three facets of Isaiah 58, there's really a five and there's a three, which, again, for pneumonicos purists, you need to work that out. Don't ask us what it is, because as soon as we tell you what we think it is, you'll say, well, I kind of thought it was this. Well, why didn't you say that from the beginning? Um, trying to discern the fivefold is, is a really challenging thing for people, because people think differently. But you have the God choosing, calling, and you have the day of the Lord. That, that's interesting, but the middle three are afflicting the soul, bowing down your head as a bulrush, spreading sackcloth and ashes under you. And I've really been honing in on those three. Because you can't do much with the first, the, the first two, I said. You either accept the calling or you don't. And you know it's of the Lord, and that's a strength. And you know that God's doing something in this day. You're preparing for it. You're acknowledging it. Because there's not a whole lot more you can do with that. It's the middle part of that sandwich, those three, that God is getting you ready. <clears throat> so, the afflicting the soul, man, that's deep. It's, it's like staying busy with your mind and your emotions and your conceptions. And, and I, I, you know, I think part of it is to just work your mind throughout the day, kind of like exercising, to make sure that you're forcing your mind to think about something in the business of the Lord. But that's part of it, even though that's indicated by the definition of the word. That's part of it. There's so many ways that our mind is supposed to be processing words from the Lord. And one of the ones that I've really been focusing on today is interpreting the voice of the Spirit within. And with that, I think that a lot of our perceptions of atmospheres and a lot of our perceptions of what's going on in the spirit realm yeah god can tell you yeah it can be a seer's gift yeah it can be the spirit saying thus says me this is what it is or your experience in the past based on the word you can analyze and deduce those are all valuable but to me i think that the the barometer of determining what's going on is found in that spirit within like when Jesus groaned in spirit or when others groan in spirit, that's saying, hey, what's going on around here? Your spirit within is deducing in, in conjunction with what God gave you to be, what, he's, what he wants to use you in, and Developing the interpretation of that sense is crucial for us. I think it's more of an intrinsic thing. And, and maybe that's part of the mind of Christ. I think the mind of Christ, 
Yes, it's fivefold. But the mind of Christ is able to deduce many different factors at once. But I think a primary one for us is being able to interpret the response and the reaction of the spirit within. The friend develops it, but then how do you interpret what you're sensing? Your innate sense of um, perception, what God made you to be and, and to, to accomplish for him. The core of that is within, and interpreting that is something that needs to be developed further by all of us. So that's <clears throat> that's one of the things that I'm asking God to, to highlight. Excuse me. Perhaps it has something to do with, you talk about the friend, and then you have the freo, which, remember, is translated as that, or can be translated as, you know, you've got the deep well, which is that deep spirit within us, and then that freo, which is represented as like the wall around the well, like the, the lip around the well that... Um, it's almost like it, 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 it narrows it in. Mm -hmm. So in that process, it's like the process of the Lord narrowing in on what he's saying and bringing in clarity, I guess. Yeah. I don't know how it all works. I mean, it's, it's still such a mystery to me. It makes perfect sense to my spirit. And yet, at the same time... It's, this has so much to do with the he ran into that, that season of warfare on behalf of this journey and what God wants to do in South America. I know without a shadow of a doubt, I was dealing with um, opposition in the form of distraction and, and things like that in my spirit man, which and also in my mind. And, and usually <coughs> I can just burrow in and find focus in intercession when I deal with that those kind of influences. And it was... That therein was the battle, and I do know that, I mean, what does the Bible say about, you know, what is it that chokes the word? The seed that's sown deep within us, which is his word, it's the cares of this world. It's the little things, it's the things that are, just can bombard us in our thoughts and in our, uh, just our daily lives, and it, it's a constant battle. Mm -hmm. It really is, and so... I know there's anointing, I know there's grace for us in this hour to, to really become so one with Him, so focused on Him. And I know for me, in these, this, particularly this week of this fast, it's like my, my mindset is, is, I'm really trying to gear my mindset towards seeing the Lord in everything in the way of, okay, I've got to do this. Lord, 
where are you in this? You know, just the little things. And I've got to do this. And maybe it's a little bit off the path of ministry, but it's something that I have to do in my day. Okay, Lord, where are you in this? And it's just really trying to bring him in to override the those influences that try to choke that word out. I don't know if this makes sense. Yeah. I mean, this is just all kind of new and fresh, but... Um, well, there are things that everybody, everybody's different, but we operate on the, 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 the basis of undeniable biblical principles. But with that, everybody's different. And um, I, um, I know that what God's trying to work in you is precious to him and needful for you. But somebody else is maybe not feeling that. And then the enemy would come and say, well, Monica's prophet, she's so spiritual, I'm not feeling any of those things, so I must not be holy. No, you're who you are. And that's what the fast is supposed to do. It's supposed to work on us and what he made us to be. You know, I, I'm doing things during this fast that I've never done before. It, it it and it's I think it's because the Lord is it's good to be directed by him like every time I feel hungry in the natural I immediately try to busy myself with thinking on what God's doing and what his plan is and whatever comes to my mind at that point if it's spiritual I try to press and I think, I think it's kind of training the body and it's training the mind to submit itself ongoingly to the Spirit. Now, maybe some of you are such holy people. You do that all the time. I've never done that. See, I, whenever I feel the hunger pain, I, it's interesting that you say that. Because my, my, perspe- or my first thought is, Lord, fill me with you in the absence of sustenance that I would wow. normally go for. So it's, and I guess it's basically the same thing because when you ask the Lord to fill you with his presence, you're feeling, you know, you're asking him to fill you with his presence, which is his plan, which is his agape, which is, you know, all of those things that we're called to accomplish and partner with in him. So it's basically the same thing, but um, it, it's, it's interesting that you are doing that. I'm doing this. I know Saturday night going into Sunday, which was the launch of our fast, this, this so rarely happens to me, but I did not sleep that night hardly at all. And I would doze off and I would wake up and the first thing that I would experience was hunger pains. Hmm. It was like I was starving, like to the point where I almost got up and ate. And that is the most ridiculous thing I could ever say about myself because that's just, I mean, I'm always joking with my husband because he's very regimented in his diet and it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner and you don't miss dinner. You don't go to bed without having dinner. And I've always said, you're going to sleep. You're not even going to know you're hungry. So if it's nine o'clock and you haven't had dinner, so who cares? So it's always kind of been this funny thing in our household. But um, you know, mean, That's funny because everybody's different. I know. I remember when I was a youth pastor 
and we would take the kids on trips or whatever. Some of those kids ate all the time. Some of them had to, if they didn't eat dinner. I remember we were in France with one girl, and she had to have something to eat. It was like 10.30 at night. And I thought, just buck it up and go to bed. Drink, Drink Evian. Live large. But we had to go get food for her. And I'm not trying to say this person wasn't starving. But everybody's so different, isn't it? Isn't that crazy? I just think if I'm going to sleep, I mean, what difference does that make if I'm hungry? But Don't go to bed hungry. But then if you, yeah, so it, it, it's just interesting because, I mean, what about Jesus when he was in, you know, during the temptation when he was in the wilderness? And 40 days, and for, you know, 40 days without food or water? That's a stretch. Yeah, that is kind of extreme. And yet he did not turn those stones. The 40 away. without water. Yeah. Notice that, they, that the enemy didn't ask him anything about water. I never thought of that before. Yeah. I remember one time over the New Year, we did a water fast. Mm-hmm. And we, you only called a water fast from like noon until midnight. So it wasn't like 40 days. It was more yeah. like 10 hours. That was so interesting. That hard. Had prayer time until midnight, and I remember Olivia was with me, and we were driving home, and <laughs> it was just comical because we were both just like parched. Like, it's like we couldn't talk because <laughs> we were so thirsty, but we were not going to pray until midnight. <coughs> well, it's funny because normally in other fasts, if I get hungry, I, I say, Lord, thanks for... Thank, thank you for letting me be able to fast. And I drink water. That's the extent of what I do. So this is totally new for me with that. So I, I don't know. Everybody, that God, it's like God is taking us down different, different pathways. But I, but, I'm, but I really, this afflicting the soul. Like there are a lot of times, I'll just be honest with you, just transparent. All my life, I have sensed things. It's almost like something grips me from the very core of who I am. And I, when I was a kid, I never knew what that meant. And I still don't, even though now I know it's the spirit within. But I don't really know how to interpret that. And I, I'm asking God... For that signature uh, dimension of what he put in me, for me to be able to, through his spirit, manage that a bit and interpret what's going on within the gizmo that he put within me. You know? What's that gizmo? I do not understand this gizmo. That, I shouldn't have said that. His spirit within. I don't think that word's in the Bible. No. Probably not in Louis Segonde either. But, but you know, uh, you, you get revelation from so many other standpoints. Seer's giftings. Experience in the things of the Spirit. Words of knowledge. Interpretation grace gifts. Uh, hear a little, there a little from other people. Uh, rhema words. Um, angelic words uh, and so many other things 
But this, I think this is something that the Lord is really, I, I know he's wanting to develop it in me. And part of this fast is to ask him for that. Now, I don't know what, what's going on with you. I don't know about you. But utilize these, the dynamics of these three facets of the fast. It is a meekness fast, yes. But what's that mean? You're submitting your strengths to God. You are, you are laying down your strengths, your propensities before him, and you're, you're submitting yourself to be a goodly horse in battle. Um, but this time, it's like he's going deeper into those strengths and examining what they really mean in you and fine-tuning ways that you can use them for him. And that's good. Now, why didn't God do this from the beginning? Because just like anything else, you have to lay the foundation. You have to lay the, the principles. And if you're not established in them in the Word, what good is it for him to be intricately involved in the deeper things of who you are? That's, that's what the enemy tries to do. The enemy tries to touch people and utilize capacities within them that God gave them and they're not rooted in the word. These people are, are off. Which is why, like in, in Revelation, when those who serve the synagogue of Satan, they recognize what's going on in you, they're using these high-powered giftings, and they come and proscuneo before the people of God and say, we, we've come to worship God because God is in you and the truth is here. So if we're not established in the truth... What good of the word? What good is it for us to have the intricacies of who we are? And could we really be trusted with those? So I'm grateful for the way God has done what he's done. Um, to be hammered with the word and to be laying on the word and delving into the depth of the word. That's a gift to us. So I'm I'm rambling here. Bail me out. That's a good ramble. I think um, now that second part with the bull rush. That's important too. Because the reed, the jealousy of the Lord, what we do personally. It's like the bulrush represents the stelos in the day of the Lord for a torrent of the kingdom to flow through you. And, and you're believing for that conduit of the kingdom to pour forth. But with that, all the ramifications of it, the papyri, the development of transcribing and distributing the word the the fishing line that goes into the bathos but also God uses for war against Leviathan I don't really know how that happens because you read that in the scripture in Job and you think it means 
Well, you know, how foolish would you be to think you can trap Leviathan with a hook on a line? You get a line, now I'll get a pole, honey. We could that's a hymn that's a hymn your mom probably knows. We'll do battle with Leviathan down at the fishing hole. Honey baby mine. It's not a hymn. Um but also, um the fishermen, the line of fishing, the nets that were made from that. <clears throat> those facets are all part of that that bull rush um, and, and there are other facets too but I'm not going to take you into the weeds of it Moses basket being made out of that thing so there was a resiliency and a strength to it that was different than any other kind of reed um, even the shape of it was like a triangle a three sided which the Trinity, the promised seal of fulfillment. <coughs> Nature proclaims the glory of God. That's amazing. But then this sackcloth laying on it with the ashes. You, you and I have ministered. We've taught this. We've worked with the saints. We've participated with these things. Do you ever remember God directing us to lay on the sackcloth? It's like he flicked the switch and said, okay, it's time for this now. See this. But then you look in the scripture and you see David laying on it. Uh, others laying on it. And I think it's time for heaven to come to earth. It's time for the kingdom to come in a way beyond what we've known. And it's like God has saved this directive for us, this ancient directive for now. So embrace this. <clears throat> See what God will do. Anything? No? Amen. Okay, I'll just keep rolling. Um, it's nice to know that... Now, I've not... I didn't teach lot of these things. I just did the elemental stuff about sackcloth with the Brazilians and talked about meekness and talked about I did talk about the day of the Lord and prophesied it over the continent down there. But it's nice to know that they're fasting with us this week. Should be interesting. Hallelujah. So tomorrow, you announced this on Sunday. Do you want to tell these kind and pleasant folks what we're doing here tomorrow?
and throughout the day and the night if you're like me and wake up and you're starving. <laughs> I guess I could do a fast through the day. I could eat through the day and then fast at night. <laughs> People probably have done that before. That's kind of silly. I'll just fast from sundown. Well, yeah. And then we will be meeting here in the sanctuary from 6 to 7 Dallas time for a time of intercession. Uh, it's, it's somewhat of a mandatory time of prayer if you're going on this journey, if you're part of this team. But also we're, in, you know, we're asking the rest of our congregation, those that are called to stay and really man the house because that is as significant as those going out. It's so important that we have those that are standing as pillars here in the temple in intercession. And I'm not really sure what that time of ministry is going to look like here. If we're going to have any kind of congregational gatherings or fivefolds or whatever, we haven't talked about that. But it's just really important that those that are, are remaining, and I say that for the church in Florida, I need. I know a good majority of our church in Port St. John is coming to Brazil, but then they have folks that are staying back and holding the fort down. So tomorrow night we'll be praying, and, and we have offered um, to open up a Zoom Connect for anyone that wants to join in during that prayer time with what's happening here in the sanctuary. That's totally optional. And, and I know at some point we're probably going to want to pray for the team uh, and pray for those that are staying back. So I don't know if that will be tomorrow or on we'll Sunday. We'll do that on Sunday. On Sunday. So it's just an exciting time to, to be serving the Lord in the midst of his army. And, yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, there are some things that need to happen here while the uh, it, the international team is gone. But I learned a long time ago as a pastor, I'm still learning this, that you don't announce things too far in advance because people get confused. And it also stops you from being able to make adjustments because people forget most of what you say, but if there's one thing you say that you then make an adjustment, they'll remember that. We've had that with the Saints Network. I can tell you this from the beginning. I mean, I can remember back to, I think it might have been the first <coughs> time that you went out. And I think it might have been to New York to minister with Pastor Fulton. Went up there to met Fulton, but we were dealing with uh, Donald Lee, Chinese guy. That I mean, maybe that wasn't the first time. I'm sure you took No, I think it was. You took vacations and things like that, so you were away from the pulpit, but not very often. I gotta remember those times. But I remember that one, that first time. I can still, like feel in my spirit what that felt like when you were all of a sudden gone out in the field and we were here manning the fort and, and it was really in a lot of ways a point of promotion for a lot of us to step into our place officially 
as intercessors and those you know that are moving in authority in the spirit realm to pray not only for what God was doing in and through our apostle, because at that point, that whole apostleship was still being formed. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was, it was, it was a prolific time. And then I remember there was a lot of times that, that you went away in the early days. But another time was when you were in Nigeria that was probably the most graphic, intense time of intercession I remember feeling in the sanctuary when you were away. It was like life or death battle. And, you know, it's, we always want you to be here, of course. But I think in some respects, it was good for you to step away during those days because it did teach us how to step up to the plate and um, do our job. Without falling, no, no, not without falling. It, it, it was, those were just important developmental days for us. For you as well, I'm sure, out in the field. Yeah. But um, I, I cherish those, those times of training and development. And you know what? Next week is no different. We're in a totally new realm. Um, there's a depth to what we're doing. I know that if I was staying back, I would be completely and totally, what is it called when you're like in the service and you're in formation and I would, I would be, I would not be standing down. Oh. I would be definitely be, um, at attention. Yes. So, anyway. Well, yeah, and, and we recognize that this this all has to do with the structure that God puts into place and his authority structure. And so it had really nothing to do with me as a person. It had to do with what my responsibilities were here. And I, I felt them. I remember we, it was going into 97, there was some trip that we planned that I had to go on because we already planned it. And um, that was hard to leave. But from that point, we really didn't schedule um, too many, too many things. Uh, I remember what it was. I had we'd made an agreement a couple of years before that I was going to get together with my sister and her family, and it was set for '97. So we went, and I remember how difficult that was for me because. You know, I was grateful for the time, and I wasn't awed when I was there, any more awed than I normally was. But I remember going outside to pray, and my sister thought something was wrong with me. Um, but there were many times when those things would happen that God would bring me back into the sanctuary, and uh, I could see things that were going on, and people would hear hear me praying. Um, and they, that was just, that, God's serious about where he places you. But I, I remember when, you, you know this one, when my dad died, that was very, I didn't have a meltdown. I mean, I know that affects different people different ways. But have, I, I didn't go for the family gathering. I stayed here and left out with Kelly on Sunday night 
after service, after the Sunday morning service. But I remember being gone and then coming back and how good it felt to be back here. Um, but it's, it's all about God's placement and you functioning in Him. And there have been seasons of development that God has tried to work in each of us so we can be more effective. And, it, you know, I know a lot of people got confused over the years because for them it was all in a good way about experience or being in the midst of this atmosphere or that atmosphere and people like to chase that but through it all with all of the things we've encountered with all of the ways God's moved The time with him alone is the most vital and the most precious of any of them. And that's really what God has been trying to work in all of us. You know? It's, it's the still small voice that's most important and um, it's the still small voice so let God develop that in you let, let God develop that in you um, all the other things are wonderful too Some, I mean, that, that's speaking from somebody that has been walking this for 25 years. Mm. It has literally, it has been a life-changing season of, of knowing Him and dwelling in, abiding in Him, dwelling in Him, and functioning from that place of abiding and being fruitful from that place. And uh, He's just, He is such a good Father. Yeah, that's true. 
you know, he he has led us, and I always ask him to forgive me for for ways, and I know that there have been many, where I have not heard properly. The the one thing though is is that I, and you know this, I if I err, I err on the side of caution. I don't ever remember leading our people in some wild goose chase. You would know if I did. I've got to know that I know that God's saying do this. And then we do it. And we've done some outrageous things here in obeying. But um, I ask God to forgive me if there are things that he was trying to tell me that I didn't hear or I didn't hear all of it. And and that's another part of this fast. I, I want to be able to know the voice of the Lord. And, you know, you think about the friend of the bridegroom who prepares the way of the Lord. He stands, or she, and hears. And there's a voice of one. Do You do realize that's what God is training you for. Not necessarily to be alone, but for that facet within you to be strong. If we can have the voice of one in a crowd of saints who also have the voice of one, then all of us are expressing ourselves as a symphony before the Lord. We all don't have to be trombones. We all don't have to be violins. We all don't have to be flutes. We all don't have to be timpani as much as we love that. But if we could all be the voice of one, standing and hearing, that is an army of the Lord that cannot be defeated. And I've said this in different ways. The strongest measure of faith I've ever felt in my life has been on behalf of our purpose. The purpose God has given. There is more efficacy of belief generated in me from that than any other thing and and i i don't know why i'm thinking to tell this story but you know a few years ago what i had to go to the hospital and i just didn't have a choice and some of you with all your remedies and your elixirs and things still there are times when you've had to go we don't like it. We don't want it. I don't ever want to go again. I'd never had to go to the hospital in my life, except for the day I was born. But I had to go then. And there were some challenges that were going on with the surgery I had. And I remember one night after I had bled a lot, I got up to go into the restroom to get rid of some more of the blood. When I came back to the bed, death had entered the room. There was darkness, but it wasn't evil. It was death. And I knew I was in a major hospital. There were probably people dying at that time. Death entered the room, and it kind of shocked me, as you might imagine. And um, I wasn't afraid. I'm just telling you what my spirit felt. 
And I, I said to the father, I said, Father, it's not my time. You have much yet to do in our mission. And I don't know why this is here, but it, it needs to pass by me. Your hand needs to be covering me now, and this needs to go away. But I, I can't describe the feeling that I felt when that wall of darkness entered the room. I, I almost felt like something, like sometimes what you feel when you're in warfare in the spirit realm as an intercessor, it was almost like I could feel something pulling on my chest. I could feel my spirit within being dislodged a little bit, almost like quaking. And, and I could feel like a like a powerlessness like my body my, who I was was not in control anymore and I wonder if that's not what it feels like to die but when I said that which was orchestrated by God because the angels were in the room with me that was the weird thing there was an angel that stood by me the whole time I was in there and he wasn't doing anything well I'm sure he was doing something so I knew that this was orchestrated by the Lord. <laughs> but when I made that statement about God's hand and, and us, uh, our mission, this thing went back out the way it came. But I was, I was affected by that, by the experience. It wasn't fear. I wasn't afraid. I was trying to interpret everything that I felt. And so then I take this, and I've thought of it this since then. This is kind of a morbid topic. But if we're supposed to die daily, if we're as prophets supposed to die, those factors that I felt when death entered the room, um, all of those factors should be a part of what we really do when we die so that the seed might live so that the prophet might live where you surrender control where you whatever you are all the nonsense that was bothering you a year a month, a, a, an hour ago now you're separated from it now your spirit is pulled to the forefront now your breastplate of identity is is being on overdrive, almost like a test. To me, I think all of those things and more, the purpose of God comes to the forefront. Why you're on this earth comes to the forefront. If we're really dying as a prophet, if we're really dying daily, are those factors happening? Or is part of you hanging on and fighting? I mean, when you really die, she. I remember there was a woman who was a private nurse who was part of this church. She was a younger woman, and she had she was the private nurse for Greer Garson, who lived here in Dallas to the time she died. And she was also the private nurse for a woman. I think I can say this and not get in trouble. Who was the heiress for Morton Salt? And she was in the room when this woman died. And she said, 
I was standing there and all of a sudden this woman looked over into the corner and she got a look on her face. She was petrified. And over the next 10 seconds, she just was in turmoil and in fear. You could see it on her face. And then it was like a little shock and she breathed out the last and she was gone. And this woman, from all that she knew, wasn't a Christian. She encountered death. I've been, I was in a room once when I went to visit a man and he was dying. This man loved the Lord. Wonderful fellow. And I remember he was having his, those last, the death rattle. Um, and I prayed over him. It was obvious that God was going to take him. He was an older man. And five minutes after I left, he died. But I remember the peace that was in the room. And I remember he was telling me earlier that day that he had seen a light, a bright light in the corner, and he he saw an angel standing there. And he felt that the Lord was telling him it was, it was his time to, to go. So he wanted to get everything right. And he, he said to me, you, you maybe remember him, Murray. He was a sweet old man. He lived over on Malcolm. And when he was dying, he said, Pastor, I just want to thank you. He said some really kind things. He said... He thanked me for the way that maybe as a pastor I had helped him when his first wife died. And, you know, he just said some nice things. But he said, I just want to say this while I'm still here. So none of you are going to die right now. But in the spirit, we are to be dying to the flesh. And I think there's a birthing in this day of the Lord, this breakthrough. Unless a seed falls in the ground and dies, it has no life in it. And I think God is work, trying to work a work during this fast where we are fully coming to life into this new season. So it's not a fearful thing. It's not a bad thing. None of you are going to die in the natural right now. So I just rebuke that. I know the way our, our enemy is. But we need to come to life in the things God's put in us and really live for him because this season ahead God's going to use you in ways that it's not been his time to use them before in ways that things have never happened on earth before God's going to use you and he's going to the things that he's taught you the things that he's trained you in his word He's giving additional insights. The living word is breathing that to you. So take it all in. Enjoy this time. You're in this world. You're not of this world. But this is a, this is a good thing. Maybe that's the ashes. Maybe that's the dying. You know? On the sackcloth. Maybe we're the ashes. I left that up there. Our screensaver came on. We were seeing a part of Alpha Centauri that
probably a couple of those planets we're going to be ruling and reigning in. I like looking at that. It's kind of mesmerizing. I know. But I've got to pull the screen back up and see that we have now gone four minutes over time. Can you imagine that? We're getting, we're getting paid by the job, not by the hour. We need to get off of here. We're not getting paid at all for this, except in heaven. <laughs> Anything you want to say to finish? No? Okay, then. Um, we're uh, happy fast. Happy fast, happy life. Happy fast. Seinfeld, table of four. And uh, some of you will see us tomorrow. All of you who are part of this church, the two of you that are listening to this, um, we'll see you tomorrow. But um, till that time, God bless you all. And we'll, uh, we'll see you soon.